surrender ourselves to you and to your word this morning. We want to listen and to obey what you call us to. And I pray this morning we'd be faithful. That you would open our ears to hear you speak to us. That you would open our eyes to see you moving and working in our lives and in this world. And Jesus, above all, that we would have hearts that are open to receive you as you come to us this morning. We submit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys remain standing as we read the word this morning? We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to read just a few verses to you. Open up my Bible. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verse 30. I'm actually going to back up a little bit before that. In the very beginning of Mark chapter 6, so you get some context. It says this, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. When Jesus commissions us as a people, he gives us authority to do what he calls us to do. He doesn't just say, hey, go do it, good luck, hope you can work that out. But he gives us the authority to make it happen, which means he imparts to us an authority over the enemies of God in our lives and in the world around us. Have you ever just felt powerless to overcome something in your own life? you ever felt powerless to overcome something in this world? You have the authority imparted to you by Jesus himself. Then verse 8, he says, These were his instructions to those he was sending out. He says, Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. So Jesus is saying, Don't take anything more with you than you need. God is going to provide for every need. Don't trust in your schemes and your power and your abilities. Don't trust in your retirement or your degrees. Don't trust in the things that you are trained up in. Trust in God. Trust in His planning and His provision. Let your success be from Him. Just trust Him. Verse 11. And in any place... And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet against them as a testimony. Now, I'm glad that Jesus said that because if I said that, nobody would come to church, right? I can't say things like that. Um, But I do just want you to know, however, this morning that I did not wash my feet just in case. Okay, just in case I needed to use that. But I don't want you to miss the implication here. I'm being silly, but I don't want you to miss the implication. The implication is that even though they have the power and the authority to overcome in the name of Jesus Christ, not everybody is going to want to hear that message and not everybody is going to want to follow and obey. You will face challenges and you will face trials. Verse 12, And then they went out and they preached that people should repent and turn back to God. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. They were successful. Praise God. They had an awesome time of ministry. Crazy things were happening. Things were going well. There was probably some, you know, dirt shaking from their feet. But for the most part, things really went well. So they were out ministering and doing awesome stuff for God. But in the meantime, the next several verses, 15 verses, are going to describe what happened to Jesus. And it's during this time that his cousin and the the predecessor to Jesus, John, is arrested. And eventually, on the whim of a young woman, is, is executed. And so Jesus feels this loss personally and deeply. He loses a cousin, a friend, and a ministry protege, and it's a big loss. And then the disciples come back to him, and he is in this place of sorrow, and they are dead tired. They come dragging up to him, and even with all of this great stuff going on, all the things that we're doing, all the amazing success, 
They were tired. And as a leader, I think in this moment, it's a time to press on. It's a time to keep things going. It's a time to push forward. We're going to keep this success rolling. I don't understand why Jesus does what he does next. Instead of pressing forward, he says to them in verse 34, Well, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit, or go ahead a little bit, and this gives us a clue. He says, now he saw them going about, and he recognized them. These people were chasing Jesus, and they ran to him on foot in the towns ahead of him. And when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus, even though he was sad, and even though though the disciples were tired, he turned and he continued to press into the crowds, because he loved them. He saw the crowd, he saw the needs of humanity, he saw the people, and his heart was moved to compassion. Jesus and the disciples loved the people, even when they were tired, and even when they were worn out, and even when they were sad. They kept doing what God called them to do. So I want you to know this. If you're in a place where you're tired and you're hurting, you feel like you're just worn out, that Jesus' heart of compassion is for you this morning. He looks upon you, and he sees you, and he knows you, and he knows your place of need. So they're tired and they're worn out. Jesus is brokenhearted. The people are everywhere. And Jesus looks at his disciples first, though, and he says to them, I'm going to back up to verse 31. He says this, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away on a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Jesus, this morning, I pray that we would hear this call that we would hear your heart of compassion for us, looking to us and seeing all that is going on in our life, all of our successes, all of our failures, all the places where we're growing and going and working strong for you and all the places where we failed, all the places where things don't seem like they're a success no matter how hard we try. And that we would come to you and hear this voice speaking to us to come away with you to a desolate place and rest. We hear this voice of compassion and rest this morning. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. That was kind of the sermon before the sermon as we read the, the passage. If you're ever wondering how that comes about, like I prepare a sermon and, and sometimes I come back and then Sunday morning I sit down and read it and I start seeing things I didn't see before. The Holy Spirit starts speaking some stuff. And I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, I got to add this. So there's this other part of the message and that's what was going on there I believe that God was speaking something to you this morning and to me and he's going to continue to do so through this invitation which I think is the craziest invitation that Jesus makes to any of us to come away with me to a desolate place and rest I mean if you think about it on one level when Jesus was going about and he was inviting the disciples to come and follow him you know we look at that and we go man those guys just dropped their businesses and they dropped their work and they followed him but on some level, Jesus was actually a famous rabbi in the time, a famous teacher of the law. He was well-known in the synagogues. People knew he had already started some miracles. Things were going around. And, and so when these guys got this call to follow Jesus, they had this chance at a religious career suddenly. You know, they're like, hey, I don't have to be a fisherman anymore. I could be, I could be a religious leader and follow Jesus and have this authority and power. And this could be really kind of cool. There's, there's an attraction to it. And even today, aside from that, you know, attractiveness of the call in those days, when Jesus today invites us into freedom, like freedom from bondage, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from sin, whether you buy into his power to relieve those things or not, that's pretty attractive, right? It is an attractive call to say, hey, you can be free. I want that. We want that. That's why people go to NA and 
and AA and all the A groups and you know sell 12 step programs and things like that because we want to be free. We want to be whole people. And so this is an attractive call, but Jesus takes us beyond this initial call to freedom. He continues to call us, and this is where we talk about on Easter, that the gospel just gets better. The good news of Jesus just gets better. Not only does Jesus set us free from sin and guilt and shame, not only do we no longer have to work to earn our salvation, to work to keep the laws and to do things right so that God is pleased with us, not only that, he invites us to rest. And it's his craziest call ever. This call comes, as I said before, right in the middle of a time of great success for the disciples. Things were rocking. Things were growing. There was crowds gathered around them. I mean, I love the word crowds. It's all through the book of Mark. The crowds pressed in. The crowds were on the hillside. The crowds were there. It was just everywhere. And we're not talking about small crowds. We're not talking about a few people. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people following Jesus around. And they are pressing in, and they're doing all this amazing stuff. And in our culture, we look at that, and we're like, just like I said, we just got to keep going forward, right? It's like a football analogy. You don't go to the one-yard line and not press through that to that touchdown. That's how our society works. We don't stop in the midst of that. But Jesus looks up, and he sees the ball at the one-yard line, but he sees that his team is tired. He sees that his team is worn out. He says, follow me and rest and rest. But on the other hand, Jesus may not have felt particularly successful in that moment. The loss of his cousin John was, was significant. He was a friend. He'd grown up together. They were protégés in ministry. They worked together. They were spreading the good news together in different places. And when Jesus hears of the loss of his cousin, he's tired. He's tired. And it's a failure, maybe, in some ways, in his eyes. Like, we can't go forward. We've lost this friend. We've lost, look how serious this has become. He's been executed. These are the things that would go through a man's mind. And yet it's in that moment that our culture would say, hey, success is no reason, or failure is no reason to stop. Keep pressing forward. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing in. Keep working hard. You're going to make this thing fly. But Jesus stops. And he looks at his disciples who are having this successful time. He looks at himself who's had this time of sorrow. And he says, come follow me. Let's get away together. Let's just... Let's just step back for a few minutes. It's crazy. The timing is insane. It's a crazy invitation. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I find that it's really difficult to relate to people when I'm distracted. Does anybody else have this problem? To like actually have a conversation with somebody when you're distracted? I mean, I, I'm like not really good at doing things when I'm distracted in general. Um, you know, I can't text and drive very well. I, I try all the time. You know, um, I can't, I can't uh, go on a date with my wife Heidi and sit so that I'm facing a television, right? So if I go, there's a baseball game, and it doesn't matter who's playing baseball, it could be uh, three Cuban immigrants and two guys from Pittsburgh, not even a full baseball game. And if it's on the screen, I'm like, you know, and she's like, over here, you know, pay attention to me, back down this way. So when we go out, I always like, I'm like, I'm, I'm intentional. First, she used to be intentional. She'd grab me by the arm and kind of drag me and sit me down in the seat. And after a while, I learned, you know, you can still train me. It's, it's amazing. So she trained me, and I sat now where I can see her. I can't have my computer open to Facebook or an email and have my kids asking me questions. I just can't do it because I, I, I can't, can't answer their questions. I can't hear them. All I can see is Facebook or email. Now, every, how many of you, when you hear the ding of email, you salivate? Anybody? Nobody else salivates? Like, I'm getting the funniest look from Annie. She's like, no, I don't drool, ever. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's like Pavlov's dog, right? Oh, I gotta check that. I gotta, and it's just this other distraction. Um, I've learned that multitasking is really not paying to, not paying attention to more than one thing at a time. And it's really true. I am not paying attention to more than one thing at a time when I am distracted like that. I'm not paying attention to my wife in the baseball game. I'm not paying attention to my kids and my email. I can only give one thing my attention. I'm distracted. Jesus' invitation to rest, if you notice his words, is an invitation to rest with him. To rest with him. Not with all the distractions and all the things that are out there in our world, all the projects, all the things we got going. Rest is about relationship with Jesus, about relating to Jesus, the Son of God, one-on-one. We are with so many things in life, aren't we? You don't even really think about it. I mean, you're with your email, because we got it on our phones. I, don't, I didn't put my phone in my pocket this morning, but you get email on your phone, you got Facebook on your phone, you got the Bible on your phone. When you're looking at the Bible on the phone, you know, I'm thinking you're probably looking at Facebook. We are with all of these things right here, right now. And, and those, are, those are like physical things. There's also the, the metaphorical things that are going on in our brain. We're, we're t- thinking about our work tomorrow. We're thinking about the project we've got to do. We're thinking, man, I hope that sermon he's going to preach today is short because it's nice out and I've got to get the lawn mowed. You know, I've got to fix this thing in the house before I go back to work tomorrow. We've got all this stuff to do. But in the midst of all the stuff, Jesus is calling us to be with him. Not with all of those things not with all of those distractions, to just come and be with Him. Not with our lists, not with our plans, not with the things that we have to do tomorrow. It's something that we can get easily confused about church. I mean, one of the things that I am constantly having to fight and push back against is is whenever I say, hey, it's important to come and be a part of this community, I know that there are many of you who are here, you should feel guilty for not coming last Sunday. You should feel guilty for not being a part of a small group or being a better part of this community. I, you know, my heart is never to make you feel guilty. And, and hear this, ladies and gentlemen, the voice of God is never the voice of condemnation or guilt. Is that a golf? Or that, was a, that was a hipster clap right there, yeah. We could do that this morning, yeah. This is like, this is modern church, right? You know, instead of saying amen, we're going to do this. The, the voice of Jesus is never one of guilt or condemnation. It is always a voice of invitation. And when I speak and when I invite you to come to church, when I say, hey, it's important to be a part of community. Hey, it's important to be a part of a small group. I'm not saying, hey, you need to add something to your schedule. And if you don't do it, feel guilty about it tomorrow. Don't feel ashamed that you didn't make it to church. What you should feel, what I hope you will feel, I I try to avoid the word should, what I hope you would feel is disappointment, not guilt. Disappointment. I didn't get to be with God's people today as we met with Jesus. I missed out on that. And man, that's disappointing. That's disappointing. I don't want you to hear that you should feel guilty. I want you to hear that you were invited into something very special. And that's to meet with Jesus. To meet with him here in the midst of your success, in the midst of your need, to come and to receive a word from him, to come and receive a touch from him, to come and receive his power and his authority and his work in your life, and to come share that with these people. And it's special. It's sacred. It's what we would call holy. That's why I want to invite you so much. Boy, I started preaching there, and I've kind of lost my place in my notes. Oh, so being here is really about getting away with Jesus. You, you don't come to church to make this gathering successful. A lot of pastors get that backwards. 
Okay, a lot of times I got that backwards. I'll just be frank and honest. There are times where I've, I, I'm, how I am working calls you to help me be successful. If you all just came on one Sunday, can you imagine what it would be like if the whole church showed up on one Sunday? These seats would be packed, and you know what would happen? My head would explode. I would just be, look how successful, amazing I am. You are not here for my success. You are here for Jesus. You are not here for my And I'm preaching, okay, Jamie, they are not here for your success. They are here to see Jesus. And Jesus, I pray that they see you and me this morning. That's why I want you to come to church. That's why I want you here to come get away with Jesus. To get away from all the other voices telling you to do this or to do that. To be this, to be that. This deadline, that project. This, this rule you have to follow, this religious structure you have to be a part of, to come and just rest and be with Jesus. There's this saying that, that the world will take your breath away. The world will take your breath away. The majesty of the mountains will take your breath away. The amount of work and busyness you have to do, living in the city, living in the university life, it'll take your breath away. This church does not exist to take your breath away. It exists to give you a space to catch your breath with Jesus. tweeting that. Somebody's got to tweet that. That's what we're here for, to give you a chance to catch your breath with Jesus. What an amazing invitation he's given us, isn't it? It's a crazy invitation. But rest is not easy. How many of you guys know that to be true? Can you give me the, you know, the rest is not easy? Yeah. Rest is tough. So Jesus invites these guys to get away. And the text doesn't really tell us how long they managed to get. You know, but it does say they went away to a desolate place with Jesus. They actually got away. It may have been for an hour or two hours or two days, we don't know, but eventually the crowds gathered back around. The crowd was always clamoring to get a piece of Jesus, to, to get in on what was going on. And as I pointed out, we all really have our own version of the crowd. All those lists, all the busyness, all the things that we need to do, have to do, feel like we need to do, that's the crowd in our lives. And, and it says that the disciples were so busy dealing with the crowd that they couldn't even eat. They couldn't even eat. And how many of you guys know that's true? That that crowd in our own lives, it, it pulls us in so many directions that there's times where we can't have physical nourishment or spiritual nourishment. It's the busyness that draws us away from our time with Jesus, right? We get into this place where we're thinking, hey, I've got to spend time with God, but I've also got these other projects. And you know what? Jesus isn't going to be mad at me if I don't show up to do my time with him but my professor is definitely going to give me an F if I don't. My boss is definitely not going to give me a paycheck if I don't show up. Right? Yeah, I'm getting more clapping or more snapping. I mean, it's true. The, the world, our physical world, the, the, the places we live, those lists, they have a power to them. They have a power to them that we don't assign to Jesus. We don't assign it to Christ in our relationship with him. And so that power draws us out. Now, I want you to hear this. There is nothing inherently wrong with a crowd. Okay? There is no, in fact, for Jesus, this is the place that he's got compassion for. He has got a compassion for the crowd. For us, our crowd, our lists, our bosses, our workplaces, our families, these are the very places that Christ has called us to live out his example in his life, to minister, to be his hands and feet. Those are the people that you're called to lay hands on in the name of Jesus and cast out the demons and heal the sick and raise the dead and share the gospel and the good news. All of these things, that the authority and the power that he has given us, that's what the crowd is there for. So there's nothing wrong with the crowd. It's our attitude toward the crowd. 
that gets us tripped up. It's when the crowd dictates our life rather than our relationship with Jesus. When we get the motivation for living backwards that we get tripped up. So the crowd is not the trouble, but rather our attitude toward that crowd. So have you ever felt like if just like one more thing hits your plate, you're going to explode? Have you ever felt like that? I, I knew this pastor, he described, this was like the first pastor I served under. He described his life, he said, it's like I'm spinning plates, and, and I've got like 12 poles across the stage, and I'm spinning, and I go to this one, and I spin this one, and I go to spin this one, and then somebody keeps trying to add plates. And he's just, just constantly, he was, he was so ramped up with busyness and adrenaline that he was getting to this place, he wound up burning out. Everything became a competition. Everything became work. Everything, I mean, every person that came up to him was more work. Every, every email was work. It just, he came to this place where he was so tired that he broke. He basically had a mental breakdown, and he left ministry for a long, long time. And this is the place we get into. We get so busy we get so isolated, we get so overloaded with, with work and with life that we miss out on that nourishment that we so desperately need, the spiritual nourishment. Mark notes that because of the work of the disciples, that because of this work they were called to, they didn't even have time to eat. They were hungry, physically hungry, but probably spiritually hungry as well. Connecting to God feels, when you're in that place, almost impossible. I can't hear from God. Yeah, I hear this all the time. How do you hear from God? How do you hear from God? How do you, how do you hear God's voice? What does God's voice even sound like? What does, it, what does it feel like when you hear God's voice? First thing is you've got to just stop long enough to be able to hear it. You've got to stop hearing all the other voices. So the invitation of Jesus to rest is it's an invitation to come get away from those things. And he says to come get away with him to a desolate place. The busyness of our lives make it so difficult, so Jesus actually invites us to step out of it. To step out of it. It's almost metaphorical when you walk into the doors of the church. I never want to say, check your problems at the door, because that's not how God works. But it's, it's like your problems and your worries and your stripes and your cares and all of these things are out there on the sidewalk. And you step through the doors because you're leaving it behind for a time to come and be with Jesus. That's what you're doing right now. Jesus is here. He is present among his people. He is speaking words of invitation and encouragement to you. Come away. And he uses this word desolate place. Now the Greek here is eremos. It's the word where, it's where we get our word arid from. You know, arid and dry land. It's literally an uncultivated, unpopulated place, a deserted place. I'm not very fond of deserted places. I don't know about you. I mean, they're just so deserted, Right? They didn't even add that extra S in there, so there's like whipped cream and cherries or anything. It's like, it's deserted, it's lonely, it's quiet. There's no entertainment, there's no people. There's just maybe rocks, or grassy places maybe, or a bush to keep you company. There's no one to talk to out there. It's deserted, and that's why they call it a desert. It's just lonely. But get this, when Jesus invites you into that, he is there may not be birds or flowers or trees to keep you company. There may not be entertainment. There may not be your neighbor. But Jesus is there. He is there to meet with you. In the Bible, the desert is a very ironic place. It's a very ironic place. Think about it. When you think about the Old Testament, the story of the Israelites being led out of Egypt and into the desert, they were led out of slavery 
and into a place where they weren't sure where they were going to eat. They weren't sure what they were going to drink. They weren't sure how they were going to live. They were going to wander in the desert. But guess what was there with them? A pillar of fire and smoke. The very living presence of God. The desert is an ironic place. It's deserted, and yet God shows up most powerfully there. He most richly gives us his presence. He most richly blesses us in those places. He relates to us one-to-one in the desert. Life in desolate places is really a picture of what the Sabbath was intended to be. It wasn't intended to be a time of rules where I do this and I don't do that. It was intended to be a time where we step aside from all of our lists, all of our doings, all of our things that we have to do, all the responsibilities, and stand in the presence of God and relate one-to-one like friends walking in the cool of the evening. This is the invitation that Jesus gives. And more than that, this term eremos was also a term used by shepherds. It was a, a term that they would say that we are going to eremos our sheep. We are going to lead them into a deserted place that's not owned by anybody. It's not fenced where we can free range these animals and walk amongst them. Where they can at leisure eat the grass that happens to be there. It didn't cost them anything. It just led them into this place and they were together with their sheep. And this is what Jesus invites you into. New territory, new land, free range with God. Free range children is different than free range Christians. You could be a free range Christian. And in that place you'll find that our limitless Lord shows himself strong in what seems like limiting and difficult places. Because we walk with our shepherd and as we walk with our shepherd we find that we get a crazy, incredible strength. Because that's the next thing I see in this text. In our resting with Jesus, we get crazy strength. So much of our effort in life is really spent in working out our own salvation, right? We're trying to prove to one another that that we're godly or that we're good people. A lot of people become Christians because it improves their life. It makes them a better person. We we get into religious circumstances where we have to follow all the rules and, and all of the, the strictures of the, the religion and we follow and we dress and act and speak a certain way and we're saying we're reflecting God, but in the end it becomes those rules that we're really following and not Jesus himself. And we become tired by working all the time. But the, G, the rest that Jesus offers us is both physical rest and spiritual rest and both forms of rest and being with Jesus, we rest from the work of our earning of salvation. We rest from our work of trying to impress people. We rest from our work of trying to cultivate an identity. We try to rest from our work of cultivating a religious life. And we just be with Jesus. And in that being, we find strength. The strength that we receive in that time from Jesus actually enables us to handle the lists as we step back into life as we go back into the busyness, as we go back to the crowd that we are called to, we receive power from on high. You know exactly what happens in this text that we're talking about this morning. I read part of it, but I didn't read the whole thing. The thing that this is titled, it's not titled, Jesus invites his disciples to get away and rest. The section of this passage is titled, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He invites the disciples to get away and rest with him. And the result of that resting is that they minister to this crowd of over 5,000. It says 5,000 men. So they didn't even count women and children. They feed them with five loaves and two fish. 
they probably weren't even very big fish. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, five bread factories and two whales. We're talking about, you know, five barley loaves, about that big, and two herring. Not much. Not enough for lunch for me. Well, because all I'd get to eat is a fish. The whole gluten-free thing messed me up. But I wonder how they worked that out. You know, Jesus is like, gluten-free? I don't know. Anyway, probably didn't have that problem. So they didn't have much physically to give. They didn't have much spiritually to give. They were on empty, these guys, the disciples and Jesus, running on empty, and they go to the crowds. And because of this rest, they are able to feed the 5,000. A miracle takes place because of the rest. I think this is what Paul meant in, in the book of 2 Corinthians when he says this, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Like, life is a train wreck, but I'm content. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I've come to the end of my rope, when I've come to the end of my abilities, when I've come to the end of all of my working, I find out that when I let go and I just rest in Jesus, it's God's strength working through me to accomplish what's in front of me. I've only got five loaves and two fish, and the need is so great, God. No problem. My strength is more than enough. In Jesus, I have more than enough. I may be weak. I may struggle. I may fail. On the outside, things may look successful. On the outside, things may look like an utter train wreck. But I have a strength inside that does not let go because I rest in Jesus. I may be weak, but because of this rest in Jesus, I have a crazy strength, a strength that endures weakness, a strength that takes insults, a strength that goes through hardships, a strength that faces persecutions, a strength that doesn't shrink back in the face of disasters. My strength doesn't lie in my abilities. It doesn't come from my work. It doesn't arise from my belief. Instead, my strength comes from my rest in Jesus, and you have that opportunity too. Just as you have been anointed, just as you have been called, just as you have been commissioned, just as you have been saved, you are given the authority and the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. You are also given the call to rest and find your strength in Jesus. And it's a strength that doesn't add up. It doesn't. Two and two don't equal four. Hey, I got the math right. First try. Yeah. So the big question that you're all asking is, how in the world do you do it, right? How do we, I mean, you, I've listed out the whys we don't get to rest real well. But you're like, I feel it. I got, I'm still spinning my plates faster. I've got them right here in the row with me. I'm just spinning them over here in my mind. I kind of hear what you're saying. How do I even escape that stuff? I think the text kind of helps us with this a little bit. It's the big question. But our world doesn't make it easy. I want you to know this. If you choose to obey God in this, if you choose to obey God and to come away with him to a desolate place, you will feel guilty. You will be challenged. You will face hardships and persecutions. People will tell you it's crazy. You will feel like you need to do more. It's going to come, but Jesus is inviting you to learn to rest in him. And I think the text gives us a few, first, few clues. First of all, he says, come away with me, and we have to respond to that call. It's that simple. It's like, not just a step. It's not like, oh, I could do this or that or the other thing. It's just, I'm just going to respond. I just got to say, okay, Jesus, I will come away with you. And you're going to have to drag this leg because this leg is being held onto by stuff, right? 
this leg is being held on to by, by all the things you got to do, all the plates that need the spinning. You got to respond. You got to step out and say, yes, Jesus, I will come with you. Jesus does this invitation. You hear it. You hear it every Saturday night. Tomorrow is church. Will you come to church and spend a day with Jesus? Will you come spend an hour and a half of your, anybody know how many hours there are in a week? I should have multiplied this out. However many hours there are in a week, an hour and a half. Will you take that one hour and a half during the week and say, I am coming away with Jesus. I am getting away to listen to him and to receive from him. For some of us, this means actually saying no to work. So for some of us, this means actually planning ahead for some of our work. I know that this is so difficult that for many people in our culture, it means that they have no relationship with God at all because they can't say no to all the plate spinning. They can't say no to the busyness. They can't say no to the crowd long enough to have any relationship at all with God, to have any connection with and yet he's standing there just at the edge of the crowd. He's saying, come on, come away with me. What are we going to do there, Jesus? We're just going to hang. You don't have to do much. You know, there's no work here. Just, just sit. I'm going to feed you. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to walk. We're going to rest. We're going to relate. We're going to be friends. We're going to know one another. I've got some things I want to talk to you about, some things that are going on in your life that I want you to know that you can be free of. You've got some things in your life that are going on right now that's amazing, and I just want to encourage you. Jesus is inviting you into that. But we have to set a boundary. We have to say no for a time so that we can spend time alone with God. And I just want to take a moment and ask you to respond. How many of you this morning, and, and maybe we just like, I, I don't want this to be a moment of shame in any way for anybody. I just want it to be a moment of boldness. You want me to just say that you, need to, you want to raise your hand and say, I hear Jesus inviting me right now to come away with him somehow this week, to actually commit to coming away with him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. So hard, isn't it? Jesus, I pray for these folks who have raised their hand. I raised both of mine. <laughs> and I pray that we would hear your call and that we'd be faithful to actually make the step and respond, come away with you. Jesus' name. Amen. Secondly, we rest on God's terms, not our own. Resting on God's terms, not our own. He says, come away to a desolate place. Now, if I was to do this, I would say, Jesus, I want you to invite me away to a beach. I want you to invite me away to Disneyland. I want you to invite me to come away with you to the movies. I want you to invite me to come away with you to, you know, whatever amazing trip to Paris or, uh, you know, wherever it happens to be that you want to go. I want to invite me to come away with you to that. But that's not what it works, how it works. We need got to rest on Jesus's terms. We come away to a desolate place. It's a place where our stuff is not and his stuff is. A lot of us, though, we spend more of our time working for God than we do being with God. And so we think, well, I'm work, 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 work for God. I'm going to do Sunday school. I'm going to do this or that. Oh, I see my work as my mission, and I'm sharing Jesus or whatever. And then, oh, man, I'm tired, so I'm called to rest. So now I've been working for God, and now I'm going to rest from my working for God. And that means I'm going to take a break from church, or I'm going to take a break from my small group, or I'm going to take a break from this thing, or I'm going to stop doing that. And this isn't what God is calling us to. He's not calling us to stop working. He is calling us to stop working for him. 
but to come and be with him. And in the midst of that, to find our strength. We have to rest on his terms, not our own. We work, we work, we work, and then we vacation. We're not talking about a vacation. Sabbath isn't a day off. As a matter of fact, Eugene Peterson, and if you're easily offended by bad words, just plug your ears right now because I'm going to use a bad word. This is a warning to everybody. Um, Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, he says that a day off is a bastard Sabbath. It is. There was some offense just now. Sorry. I apologize. Didn't mean to offend you. He said it, not me. I just heard what he said, Mom. That's what he said. Um, Do you understand what I mean by that? That a day off, I mean, we take a day off, and we do a day off so that we can just be entertained. We do a day off so we can stop doing the work we do the rest of the time, and we just numb ourselves with other things. Jesus is inviting us to a Sabbath rest, which is a day that we get to delight in him, to delight in his gifts, to delight in his people, to delight in his strength, to delight in the things that he has, his blessing that he has poured out on us. So we have to rest on his terms and not our own which means avoiding some of the things that are on our list. Avoiding email. Oh, man, that's hard for me. And I want you to know that I'm working on this stuff. My Heidi's looking at me going, you struggle with that. I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. It is not easy. I am not going to lie to you. It is not easy. But Jesus is calling you to rest on his terms. Hebrews tells us that the Christian takes a Sabbath not to just obey some law, The book of Hebrews says that the Sabbath is still for Christians because it declares to the world that God's power and strength is sufficient and all that has been done for you to save you is sufficient and you don't have to work. You can just rest and delight in relationship, which is the goal of the cross. It's not to end sin, but to end the gap between God and man so that we can relate to him one to one. Whoa, suddenly this cross thing is a whole different thing, isn't it? It's not just some religious object. Suddenly it's not just some sacrifice that covers my sin. This is about getting to your heart. But the Sabbath says, Hebrews says it's a shadow. It's a shadow like my shadow. And I've got a shadow right now, right there. It looks roughly like me. A little bit. It's kind of fuzzy on the edges. It doesn't seem to be wearing a red shirt or blue jeans. The Sabbath that Christians take is a shadow of the Sabbath that God offers us in the same way that my shadow is is a representation of me. The rest that we receive is so minuscule compared to the rest that we receive in the cross. The rest that we receive in heaven. But we earn it, we not earn it. We don't earn it. We live it now. We get to experience it now. We get to taste it now. We get to have just a touch of that heaven now on God's terms, not our own. Lastly, lean into your weaknesses. Let's just get this on the table. Jesus knows your weaknesses. God knows what goes on in your life. There isn't a private corner for you to have an addiction or predilection, or desire, a thought that he does not see. Now that's scary. You're like, okay, here comes the giant thumb. It's ready. He knows where your eyes are looking. He knows where your mind is wandering. He sees what happens in your heart. He knows, even those of us who live 
great lives and do great things and pastor these people and pray and, and they seem so spiritual. He knows that there's those moments where you just inside you want to murder somebody. Never had that to me, I'm sure. In the last like about five minutes or so. Hasn't happened to me at least. He knows that's going on. And when he looks at you, what he sees is that crowd. And he says the crowd was harassed like a shepherd, a sheep without a shepherd. The image of a sheep running away from the wolf, running away from the from the bear, running away from, from the, the sheep thief. Dirty sheep thieves. Running, ah, get away, get away. And it's like harassed, and the whole flock is moving like this, and he just sees, Jesus looks down at us, and he says, look at them, they're, they're harassed. And he knows how you're harassed, and he knows what the harassment is, and who is harassing you, and he has compassion on you. He does not have anger for you. He doesn't have this deep sense of, I need to destroy you because you've been harassed. He is a shepherd who is kind and loving and wants to lead you into clean, green pastures and new life, to restore your soul, to give you a chance to breathe. But you have to lean into your weakness. There's this buzzword in our culture. It's called imposter syndrome. Anybody ever heard of that? Imposter syndrome? This it first was discovered amongst women. And psychologists and sociologists and otherologists have been studying it for some time now and finding that this, this thing is endemic in our culture. And it started with women, but now it was like, man, I think men heard about it on the radio and they're like, it's not just for women. Holy cow, that's totally me. Imposter syndrome. This syndrome, it's the idea that you have in your mind that if people could actually see who you are and what goes on in your life and how you struggle, that they would know you are a failure, that you're an imposter, and that the front that you put up for everybody, this isn't the real me. This isn't the real me. There's this person behind that, and if you knew who was back there, you wouldn't love me. You wouldn't like me. The invitation to rest is an invitation to stop trying to prove yourself, to stop trying to make life happen, to stop trying to polish the facade of the imposter and to be yourself with Jesus, to come away with him and say, God, I am tired. I am so, so tired. I need your strength. I need your presence. I want to know you. I don't want you to know the fake me. I want you to know the real me. And I want to walk with you in the cool of the evening. And in that weakness, to find out that Jesus covers that weakness and makes you strong. That is the invitation of rest. That is the crazy invitation that our culture looks at and says, you are absolutely nuts if you're doing that. You are absolutely nuts if you're not willing to work on a Sunday. You are absolutely nuts if you're not willing to, to say no to study for a little while or to a party or to an event or to a vacation because you're going to do this or that you're going to take part of your vacation and you're going to spend time intentionally investing in your relationship with God so that you can walk with him. It's crazy. But it's the invitation that Jesus makes. And here I am at the end of the sermon. Uh, most of you probably know and probably go, well, it makes total sense that you would preach about resting because you're going on sabbatical tomorrow. And this is really what it's all about. We are taking an extended Sabbath for three months. For 20 plus years, Heidi and I have been in consistent 
ministry life where we have invested in people's lives. We were like ministering to the crowd, whatever the crowd is that God puts in front of us, wherever he calls us to serve, we've been going, 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 going. And we got to a place where we just looked and it's like, we need to rest for a little while because it's so easy to lose focus on what the crowd is all about. My attitude toward the crowd can change so quickly. And I want to serve the Lord with all that I have and I need his strength and I need to take a time away to a desolate place with him so that I can hear from him um, in ways that I can't hear. It's just a weekly Sabbath. And it's going to be a part of the regular course of life every seven years or so to take an extended period of Sabbath away. Um, and I'm scared. I am anxious because I don't know what happens when I stop. I don't know. It's been so long. I don't know what it's like to be pastor. I have been so long at this that I'm not sure what it's like to sit in a seat and not worry about whether Jandy is going to play the right song or the right chord or we got Sunday school teachers or if the water cooler has water in it. A thousand details that go through my mind. And I'm confessing this because in a way it is sin because my focus is no longer on Jesus in those moments. And I'm taking a time to press into the Lord and to find out who I am in Jesus. And I'm anxious about that. I'm anxious about that. I imagine many of you would be anxious about that too. Maybe some of you are experiencing anxiety. Just think about taking a day a week to do this. So I want to ask you to pray for us. This last weekend, yesterday, was Heidi's. I'm going to ask Janice. Janice is coming now, and so is Kristen. We're going to ask, I invite you guys to pray in just a second. Uh, but I'm going to say something here first, okay? You can't take over yet. Just because I left you guys the keys to the church doesn't mean you get to trample on my sermon. No, I'm kidding. Yesterday was Heidi's birthday, her 40th birthday. Sorry, I should have stupid. Blew that. I'm at 30. Uh, she turned 20 again is what I wrote in my notes. All this last week, she was, from my perspective, I'm not going to put this on you, but from what I saw, kind of anxious. Anxious about her birthday, that nothing was going to happen, that her friends had forgotten her, that had ignored her, that, it, you know, and, and I worked really hard to surprise her with friends throughout the day. And that anxiety proved to be unfounded, that her friends and her family love you. I love you desperately and deeply. And you are seen and you are known. I think that our sabbatical is going to be just like that. Three months of surprises. <laughs> that God sees us and knows us, and we need your prayer. We need your support as we go into this. So I'm going to ask Janice and team to come and pray. Heidi, would you come up here? I don't know what they've got planned. They're going to do something on their own. I even gave them time to do it. Look at that. Um, so, I get some sound? There we go. We, um, we cannot let this day go unnoticed. And um, we've known your intention for a while. Everybody here, I think, is, unless you're visiting for the first time, have known their intention to go. And so um, let's let's get, uh, we do want to pray for you. We want to pray for your whole family. Casey, could you go track down Mia and Isaac and get them down here? 